This is the Two Minute Time Lord podcast from Chicago TARDIS and another time dilation interview with uh, the, the man who in many ways has become uh, the Doctor Who community's ambassador to the real world and vice versa. <laughs> this is Toby Haydoke of Moth's Ate My Doctor Who Scarf and Now I Know My BBC, Compare at Excess Malarkey, and uh, the new this year from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and performed last night at Chicago TARDIS, uh, my stepson stole my sonic screwdriver. Toby, how are you, sir? I'm really well. I'm glad the show's done because I was getting a bit nervous yesterday because I'm... Um, I haven't done the show since Edinburgh, and we're now in November, and Edinburgh finished in the end of August, and I sort of assumed it was all still there in my head, and then yesterday afternoon I realised it really wasn't, so I had this <laughs> panicky sort of cramming session of doing it to my wife in, in the hotel room, and I go, you just missed three pages, out. oh God, what am I going to do? Um, but then it went fine. Well, for um, fans who uh, may not be familiar with your work, I'd like to quickly touch on uh, Moths, which uh, we talked about a couple of times on sure. my podcast. Um, Moths is uh, is the portrait of the young man as a Doctor Who fan, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's a sort of it's a, it's a rites of passage, really, isn't it? A, a journey from childhood through adolescence and into adulthood with with the constant guide being being Doctor Who. And I think featuring big in that was that my dad left when I was four and and I think Doctor Who fills different shaped holes depending on who you are, but I think we all have a, a hole in our life that has been filled by Doctor Who and so a lot of people identified with it. Even people who weren't Doctor Who fans identified with it, mm-hmm. which was nice. Well, uh, a, a fundamental part of, the, of, of that show is... Um, your relationship with your father and your relationship with your son, mm. uh, Louis, um, mm. in that in that story, and um, this was a tremendously successful uh, uh, play. Uh, every time you thought that you were done doing it, you kept getting. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I was I, I was there for one of your last Not shows. Yes. <laughs> Hurricane Who in Florida. That was one of your last shows, yeah. and it kept kicking on for a good year, year and a half after I, that. I, st- I was still doing it this year. I, I last did it in um, when I did a, a preview of Steps on the next day in Tunbridge Wells. Louise Jameson, for goodness sake, um, booked me to do her theatre Moths on the Saturday and the Steps on preview on the Sunday. So I sort of I, I handed the baton from one to the other in Tunbridge Wells. That must have been wonderful. And following... Um, Following uh, the success of Moths, um, you pretty quickly became, I'm, 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 I'm not going to say an insider into Doctor Who, but certainly certainly a fundamental element of um, explaining the show to, you've been, to outside audiences. We've talked about uh, the obituaries that you've written for The Guardian of uh past uh, Doctor Who actors. Yeah. Uh, Although I was already doing those. Mm-hmm. I was just not on anybody's radar. Ah. Because uh, I'd, ne- I'd never been part of fandom. I didn't really know any Doctor Who fans apart from my mate, Mark. But, he, you know, he he was a Doctor Who fan in that he, he bought some of the videos. But he wouldn't have known who Pat Gorman was. You know, <laughs> so, so I had nobody to have those sorts of conversations with. Um, uh, but I'd, I'd already done, the, done, done a few Guardian obituaries. Um but it's fair to say I've done a lot more since, but I don't know whether that's just the sad times we live in. But um, it used to be that I'd ring the Guardian up and, and now they come to me. So I think things have changed like that. But yes, I know what you're saying. I, 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 as a result of doing the show, 
doors opened into the world of Doctor Who that I, I, I never thought I'd walk through. You were sort of on the outside looking in with a microscope and other medical equipment. <laughs> Um, and then, um, and then you're in the door, and um, as uh, in, a, in a bit of timey wiminess, uh, you've just recorded an interview with Radio Free Scarrow that'll air in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, you know, you and Stephen talked about the DVD work yeah. that you've been doing since then. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, how does it how does it feel to have been on the outside and then? Participant, a participant in all of this. Uh, I I am hugely grateful and count myself very lucky. And uh, you know, uh, doing things like DVD conferences uh, was something I'd always wanted to do, but knew there was absolutely no chance of me ever doing. Uh, and what happened was one of the members of the restaurant, because I think people think there's some sort of Doctor Who fan cabal where everybody just gives each other work and it's a mutual appreciation society. I could have I, sworn I saw people doing a handshake. <laughs> I am absolutely living proof of the refutation of that because I didn't know anybody. Um, when I was asked to do a DVD commentary, it wasn't because all my best mates on the restoration team wanted to give me a job because I'd never met any of them. I'd met I'd met one, um, a guy called Peter Crocker who does all the, the pitch restoration. Um, who'd come to see Moths in Buxton and invited me for a drink to discuss doing Doctor Who comedy extras on the DVDs. And um, then I went onto a few internet forums and realised that doing a comedy extra on a DVD would be more trouble than it's worth, frankly. And I, di- I, didn't th- I couldn't think of anything funny enough that would inspire me, but I kept in touch with Peter. And I, then I remember getting cross about the War Machines commentary and saying, why, why was John Cater and Alan Curtis not on that? And he said, oh, I think, I think they thought they were dead. And I was like, well, next time, why don't you just ask me? Because I'll, I'll put you in touch with them. You know, it seems such a wasted opportunity because I think the DVDs have, have an archival importance and therefore it's important to get tested. John Cater has since died, having not gone on record talking about Doctor Who. What a wasted opportunity. Um, and and as a result of that stroppy email that I sent, he said, um, oh, have, you ever th- have you ever thought of moderating a commentary? I'll do it like a shot. So then the next article they did, they decided to have a moderator, which was the rescue in the Romans, and the rest is his history. Um, but again, it's, it's it, a lot of these things have come independent. The, the documentaries I've made on the discs have all been independent of the commentary team who were sorted out by completely different people who don't really mingle particularly with the people that make the, the documentaries. And I, I got to know Chris Chapman somehow. We met for a drink. Um, and then you see a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff goes on where frequently if people are doing a documentary now, I'll, I'll get an email asking if I know where people are. So there's a lot of, you know, there, are, there is a group of people who are unpaid consultants, if you like, because we all want the same aim. We all want to do a good, a good job on the DVDs and to, to, to be as definitive as possible. And so I got to know Chris. And, um, and for the Peter R. Newman documentary, I had to pitch that. Like anybody, anybody listening is able to pitch an idea to the Doctor Who DVD range. And that pitch got taken up. Um, so that was completely independent of any commentary work that I do. And um, uh, it's just, I'm, I feel so privileged. Um, I still don't lose the giddy excitement of it. 
Um, so you don't feel like, you know, you're seeing the sausage getting made or anything like that? I don't that. think so, because I was always fascinated with behind-the-scenes stuff anyway. So I simply, what I'm doing there is I'm simply trying to find out the stuff that if I was buying the DVD, I would want to know. Um, so I think I'm, I, I hope therefore I'm quite a good sounding board in that regard, is that, is that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the ideal customer because I would get every DVD and listen to every commentary and watch every extra anyway. Um, and, uh, I th- I th- and I think fortunately because, and I'm very conscious of this, because I'd done all right outside of being a Doctor Who fan, because I was, uh, any profile I had, I had already outside of being a Doctor Who fan, mm-hmm. It's slightly easier at the commentaries to go to somebody, oh, I worked with uh, your mate so-and-so at the Royal Exchange Theatre, and you can see the actors relax and go, oh, he's not just some, some you know, strange encyclopedia of Doctor Who. He, you know, he's somebody that I can slightly now relate to because we've got mutual friends or we've worked in the same theatre or blah-de-blah. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's quite handy. Mm-hmm. That does come across in Moths and in uh, Stepson, which we'll get into in a minute, that even though your cerebrum is filled to the brim with production codes and, um, and uh, information about the famous John Abenary and, <laughs> and, and, other, and, and other facts and people in the Doctor Who universe, your world is not limited to Doctor Who. No, that's and that that is true, and that's you know. So for, yeah, for example, when I was doing the sense rights commentary, I was able to say to William Russell, um, oh, and of course Stephen Dartnell was um, Horatio in the Hamlet that you did for the Royal Shakespeare Company with Mark Rylance, and so he's suddenly got another element to talk about or a thing. And yeah, I think they're quite relieved that that yes, one knows about more than more than Doctor Who, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know I've just done a, a commentary for the Reign of Terror with episode four is just me and Ronald Pickup. Now, me and Ronald Pickup aren't going to be able to talk about his three scenes in the Reign of Terror for 25 minutes. But fortunately, uh, there's, there's, an, there's enough that I could talk to Ronald Pickup about. That's, I think that's a great commentary. That episode is such a nice man. He's one of the UK's leading actors, you know. And his first television job, when he was still at drama school, was one episode of the Reign of Terror. And I didn't think we'd get him, and he was so delightful. But yeah, he was quite relieved when I went, oh, and of course, I've just watched your, um, uh, the Alan Page drama, which you played uh, George Orwell. And he suddenly, and you could just see him relax and go, oh, this is all right then. <laughs> <laughs> now, among the other things that you had going on around that time, uh, Compare at Excess Malarkey mm-hmm. and, uh, and other work that, as, a, an, as an American, I may not be aware of, uh, you were working on a different project called you, you created a, a follow-up to moths called now i know my bbc yes um which got great reviews yeah. wasn't wasn't quite the wasn't quite the runaway success that no. moths was but it was about um it was about the it was about uh the institution of the bbc yeah yeah i I think we can safely say it did okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I have to say I never quite fell in love with that show the way I, I fell in love with Moss and I, I, I think... Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it was... A, it, was it, it had the sort of autobiographical element because, that, you know, the human interest is what, is what keeps the audience going along. But it was also quite a, a, a clench-fisted polemic about saying, you know, we've got to protect the BBC 
from the baleful hordes of Murdoch and his acolytes. And um, actually, it was, if anything, judging by the current climate, I did it about two years early. <laughs> uh, um, as you know, Americans, we don't. Americans, by and large, don't get the BBC. Um, it's just another network. It's not. Uh, it's not a national institution. Um, when and what? What's the climate like right now um, in terms of what, how the public feels about the BBC and how vigorously it must be defended? I don't know about the public because you uh, because because generally on ra- radio phone-ins, it's usually the nutters who ring up. Um, I know that the press have rather. Um, shamefully seized upon the scandal about a former uh, BBC presenter who's turned out to have been uh, quite a successful paedophile um, as a stick with which to to beat the BBC which is pretty ridiculous seeing as um, all the people that were in management at the BBC at the time don't work there anymore you know it's not it's not it's not not some entity where you can hit it and all the right it's not a pinata yeah it's ridiculous um uh, and 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 but but obviously the BBC is the main competitor of of the tabloid newspapers and the independent networks, so they have a vested interest that they're now dressing up as moral outrage to to kick the BBC. But I think people are bright enough and smart enough, and there are, uh, there are enough vigorous and intellectual voices uh, speaking out in support of the BBC that I think touch wood it'll be all right. But it's a very irritating process having the likes of the Daily Mail preach ethics to you. Uh, you know, you, 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 the moral compass is being guided by people who fish through celebrities' bins for a living. Is, is something is wrong there? You know, um, so it's, it's, I get very cross, <laughs> but I think it'll be. I touch wood. I think it'll be alright. Um, so, stepson. Yeah. Um, you, and your family situation. Yeah, your family situation changed uh, between uh, the launch of Moths and uh, stepson. Uh, st- yeah, and. Um, both of these are very personal stories about um, about about family and yeah. about and about how it, how it, how Doctor Who sort of weaves its way into your life. Yeah. Um, when you when you well, let it, the the you know the the quick the elevator pitch for stepson. What what would you want somebody who's seen or heard Moths on the BBC audio? What would you want them to know about Stepson? Um, I think it's a more mature work. I think it's a more thoughtful work. I think it's about... I think it's about trying to say that life is difficult, but that that's all right. And actually, there are people for whom life is a lot more difficult than you... And realising that is is quite nice because my my stepson is disabled. He's he's deaf, um, and it's quite humbling, and also extremely inspiring to see the effect that Doctor Who has on a little boy that can't hear or speak. Um, and you know, having done done the 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 thing about you know with moths with 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 my son and my kids. Um, to actually, you know, encounter somebody else's little boy and, and and yet still have this thing, which is Doctor Who, which is... And, and he's taken Doctor Who and run with it. He's got a fez. Um, <laughs> uh, 
is 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 amazing but i didn't want it to be a rerun of that story whereas you know with with moths we sort of i my dad vanishes i have a son and at the end i bond with my son so i think i set out the stall fairly early on this is this is this is not moths too this time the child's disabled um uh because we established fairly early on that uh, that ethan um loves doctor who but it's about it's about communication it's about a common language because Ethan and I don't speak the same language because he speaks with his hands he uses sign language and I speak with my mouth which he cannot hear um, but we have a common language in Doctor Who and we watch Doctor Who and experience it in different ways uh, and, and I think the thing was and I think his mum was very conscious of going don't want you to have this sort of this poster boy for feel sorry for the disabled kid and I, so I worked very hard not to be mawkish about it but to go there's nothing wrong with him Mm -hmm. he's not missing out on anything he's experiencing it in a different way uh and in the middle of in in the middle of all that and um it's it's very affecting very moving and in the middle of that there's a crazy man who knows everything (laughs) about doctor who and cannot help but introduce every single trivial bit about doctor who that may relate even tangentially to a situation it just runs through your head we see it happen on stage yeah you you, you're doctor who isn't everything to you but it um it it just blurs through i think it is everything to i i I, uh, the week before coming to this i'd got various bits of work on and i i was just i can't wait i just want to go to the convention because then I'm I'm allowed to just think and talk about Doctor Who, and I have to say, life when I'm not doing that is is less interesting to me. Terrible admission to make. I do genuinely love Doctor Who, and I do think about it all the time. And if I'm not thinking about it, I'm generally bored. Um, and the, I think the good the the bits of the show that really work because it's all very well working to a script and going through jokes and ideas it, it is when I go off on one a little bit and I start throwing things in because I don't write those bits because I don't need to so then you can sort of, <laughs> you can sort of and I did have a bit that I cut out of the show because it was holding it up where I threw somebody in the audience the program guide and just said um, choose choose a story and I would give them facts or do a cast list or whatever <laughs> but because the, it was such a, quite a, a, a quick fire show and it's, a, it's deliberately quite upbeat and quite fast right. you'd throw this on and say now pick a story and they'd, they'd leaf through the pages very slowly and it would just held it up which was a real shame because and also it was the reason I put that in was to show the audience that I was a big fan of Doctor Who I think that's clear anyway one thing that I love about both shows is that you laugh at yourself and you laugh at Doctor Who fandom to a certain extent while making it clear that you're 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 you know you're looking in the mirror when you do that. Yeah. Um, we are horrible about the show that we love on <laughs> uh, on uh, particularly on message boards. Yeah. Um, frequently on podcasts um, and it's so it, it's it's healthy as heck for fans to be able to look at themselves and laugh at themselves um there was a there was a joke in comic book fandom a while back that uh, legion of superheroes fan be careful with legion of superheroes fans many of them have no sense of humor and some of them have guns um <laughs> uh, how how has Do- how do doctor who fans 
well, clearly, I've seen the standing ovations. We love your we love your show. But do any of them ever feel like you're taking the piss out of their thing that they love? I hope not. I mean, I did notice early on last night I said something and it got a bit of an ooh and I had to go, so I, I swim at the same end of the gene pool as you do. Uh, I mock myself first. Um, but I think, I, I like to think my, my humour is largely sort of inclusive and, and pleasant. I, I, there aren't many victims in my to my jokes. So I, I, I think, I hope it's fairly clear that when I mock, I do so with affection. I also think, and I, and I, and I don't, and it's not uh, other Doctor Who fans are like this, but I'm the normal one. If anything, I'm going, I'm the most <laughs> abnormal of them all. So therefore, any any anyone that gets hit by my humour, I'm I'm first. I'm the one that gets whacked first. You know, I'm. Uh, so I think most people are okay with it, um, and if they're not. That they're the sort of people that should be having the piss taken out of them anyway. <laughs> uh, last thing I want to touch on is um, in Moths, you dealt with a very light touch uh, the subject of psoriasis, mm. uh, uh, immune response condition that you have. Yeah. That um, you know you ma- you made a joke at least in the version that was released on audio about you know about you know uh, going to the swimming pool you know part you know yeah re- yeah yeah re- reflexively making light of it yeah um again stepson is a very is a light and funny show but you're but you go into depth about uh your fight with uh, psoriasis and how um debilitating and depressing that can be yeah um and since and and while you're doing that, you've also you're also getting recognized for writing about it on your blog. Um, you've uh, spoken to the House of Commons. Um, um, why why open up about that? And um, and what are you hoping for audiences to draw from that? It's interesting. I mean, because funny enough, the, the review of all the reviews of Stepson were very positive and the review that I liked the least which was still positive but I thought it was quite mean-spirited didn't mention psoriasis at all and I thought oh I think you've missed a massive chunk of what this show is about um because it is it is an odd thing to talk about it's you know I think it's it's probably quite easy to to be funny about sex because that automatically makes people laugh I've chosen to try and be funny about a, a debilitating skin condition um uh, and it was partially because I, I wasn't going to mention it um, because I've tried talking about it on stage before and it's not really worked. There is, there's a tiny sequence in Moths. Uh, and the other thing is I mentioned it in Moths and I didn't want it to be a retread of Moths. But I mentioned it in Moths just to go, I'm not in prime physical condition. Aren't Doctor Who fans a bit rubbish sort of thing? Um, but when I was preparing for the show, I got ill. I got, the week after I filmed Living with Levine, the weekend I filmed Living with Levine, I got a sore throat. A week later, I was in hospital um, because my psoriasis gets set off by a streptococcal throat infection because my immune system is stupid and doesn't know how to cope. Um, so when I was, you know, mulling over the show, quite often I was I was very poorly, and um, and some of the events in the show were tied around the fact that I I had this thing, um, and I found it quite empowering. And I, I was talking about I'm. For some reason, I happen to have gone to a hospital that is a centre of excellence, and the consultant that I see once a month um, is just amazing, and she's changed my life. 
and um, she asked me to do a couple of things and when I said yeah she was over the moon and I was like what and she said because nobody will talk about it and I said well I'm, I'm happy to talk about it um, uh, and, and I couldn't believe that something that for me was fairly easy I find it fairly easy to be self-expressive I guess it's what I do um, something that was so easy and no bother at all was something that they really wanted because there's medical professionals talk about it but it's also dry and it's not about the patient experience um, so that made me think well maybe I'll start blogging about it then and, and then I got two awards sort of, sort of random websites go we've decided you're one of the top 22 one of the top 22 maybe there's only 22 psoriasis <laughs> um, blogs I got a, a thing an email saying that the other day we picked you as being excellent or whatever and um, and so I suppose it, I'd like to say I'm doing it to help other people but I'm also it also helps me it helps but uh, my, my consultant lets me ask all, all sorts of questions so I actually understand what it is that it's doing to me and I understand why maybe some of the things I don't like about myself because it's a very the, the psychological ramifications of psoriasis are quite huge which I hadn't realised I thought maybe I was just a bit grumpy sometimes or whatever um, she's helped she's made me understand that and that understanding has made my approach to the disease much more positive and much more resilient and uh, and much more proactive and I, it's, it's such a difference to my life and if I hadn't happened upon this particular consultant it might not have done so I, so, so, so I sort of started to catalogue that because, because maybe it would point other people in the right direction maybe but also because that's part of the the blog was mainly getting it out of my system and if one of the effect, side effects of that is that other people read it and find it useful, all the better. And the, and the last one I wrote was about suffering from depression, which I, I didn't put up for a month because I, I was very wary of, I, I didn't want, it wasn't a, oh, look at me, feel sorry for me, because I'm fine, I'm cope, I cope, I do it, I'm all right. Um, but I just thought, because I've been thinking quite a lot about it, I just thought, I need to put this down and I didn't publish and didn't publish because I hate people who put on Facebook oh, I'm having a miserable day today and everyone goes oh are you okay yeah I'm fine don't ask you I've sucked off um, and I didn't want it to be that at all but I thought oh damn I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out there and I did um, because you, do, I, I certainly don't do it because I want attention I, that's what I do my job for <laughs> um, but um, I, I found it very helpful in, in tackling the way I approach having this thing that has been with me every day for 25, 26 years. There's a journalism professor in New York, uh, Jeff Jarvis, who's written a book called Public Parts, and, you know, he, he's, he's a big advocate for, um, uh, you know, everybody's got a right to privacy, but everybody's got a right to be public, to talk about the stuff that's getting them. Um, but one of the things, you know, I've, 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 spoke, I've spoken a little more openly on my podcast about some challenges that I was going through. Um, but, the, but, I, but I agree with you. There's, there's, there's exhibitionism and then there's communication. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that comes across in, in your humor. Um, you're, you're, not, you're, you're, you're not flaying yourself for... Uh, for, for, you're not flaying yourself for laughter. You're um, you're explaining something that's pretty universal for your audience. We're not. We don't all have psoriasis in the audience, but we we're depressed, or we have um, 
we, we're depressed or we've lost a loved one or we're challenged in coping with any number of things. Um, for you, Doctor Who, uh, from your childhood on to your professional career right now, has been something that's helped uh, helped keep you going, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine my life without Doctor Who in it. No. And and there's nothing to apologize for. We find we, we we find the solace where we can. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. And I think that's maybe what the show is trying to do. Is go. You know, it's all right. It's all right to be to be who we are and not to apologize for it. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes we find ourselves going to football games with our sons, even though we. We're Doctor Who fans. <laughs> I think that's my favourite joke in it. Uh, is there's a because I have a slideshow and, and I have a picture of Louis and I just chose a picture of Louis that I'd got of him looking quite chuffed at a football stadium, and so then I re- had to write a joke to go around it. And uh, I say, "This is my. I'm a, must be a good dad. I've t- taken my son to a football match. I'm a Doctor Who fan. It's like Richard Dawkins taking his son to church, and I just think that's just a nice <laughs> gag. I'm really pleased with that. It brought it, it brought the house down. <laughs> Even in an American room, there were a bunch of Anglophiles in the room. Oh, God, yeah, because I, I, I had a half a mind to change certain references as I went along because I thought, well, they're never going to get that. Um, and in the end, uh, after, I just didn't bother. Uh, and there were, still, there were couples that, that would have got a bigger laugh in England, but I was very pleasantly surprised by some of the references that were, were, that were, that were got. You're, you're, you're among your people here. Yeah. Um, any conventions in the future for uh, Stepson? No, I, 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 this, is, this is the end of my convention run at the moment. I'm, I'm open to offers. Um, <laughs> but no, this was, the, this was the, first, the first one that I've done outside Ed, Edinburgh. And um, I like this convention a lot. Um, but nothing booked in thus far, but I'm, I would hope... I would hope to be busy in the end of the fiftieth anniversary year. I, I I think there are some people who could put you to work. There. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I, I I hope so too. Toby, it's been great uh, time talking with you uh, for a little bit longer than two minutes. Uh, <laughs> My pleasure. You're a great you're you're a great ambassador for the show, and as I said before, you're a great ambassador for real life too. Bless you. Well, uh, thanks. I like doing this podcast, and um, thanks for having me. Thank you. Two minute time Lord podcast is at twominutetimelord.com. You can find me on social media at numeral two minute time lord and thanks for listening talk to you soon